This episode is brought to you by Meow Wolf. Manifest unique family memories at Meow Wolf Denver. Quantum travel is the most comfortable way for Earthers of all ages to explore a playground of imagination. And why visit just once when this immersive experience reshapes every time you enter? C Street is my favorite because C Street has this vibe of like 80s dystopian. There's like slime coming down the walls and there's weird posters. And then of course, the secret club. With the annual Portal Pass, drop by Convergence Station as much as you want for less than the cost of two adult tickets. So if you plan to go twice, it's worth it. Plus, enjoy discounts, special offers, and so much more. Get the annual Portal Pass and spend quality space time with your favorite Earthers today. Learn more at MeowWolf.com. That's MeowWolf.com. Today on CityCast Denver. The pickleball war rages on, with legions of new players up against neighborhood naysayers. Things are getting so wild, even the Johnston administration is wading into the -the on-the-court drama. Meanwhile, the mayor's approach to homeless encampments remains controversial. Producer Paul Caroli and I are digging into these local stories and so much more. Plus, stick around for a sponsored interview about a new mural festival happening right now in Rhino. Today is Tuesday, September 26th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Hey, Paul. Hey, good morning, Bree. Good morning. So we're officially in fall. Oh my gosh. We are fully we immersed are. in the immersive season known as fall. We love immersive <laughs> experiences here in Colorado. Yeah, well, I love this one. Fall's a great season. <laughs> This is how I think I know I'm not a millennial, since I always hear millennials say, like, Halloween's our Christmas. And I'm like, I guess I'm a Gen Xer because Christmas is my Christmas. You're not a Halloween person? I, you like to dress up. That's something about my you. My husband and I, yeah, Greg and I, our tradition is to go to Wizard's Chest and pick out costumes together. And now it's going to be even more fun because we have a kid who has an opinion. And I'm 99% <laughs> sure he's going to want to be Spider-Man. Hey, that's a good one. <sighs> it's something. Uh <laughs> I'm not super into Spider-Man, but my son is, so mm-hmm. he's too. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of fall, I needed to make a small correction. If you know anything about my family, it's not that they're huge listeners of this show. They just like to send me corrections all oh, the time. Oh, okay. I love uh, a correction. What's up? Well, my Aunt Erin texted me this morning and said, "Yeah, you were wrong. Your uncle, uh, Ed, and your Aunt Barb do not fish in the Yampa. Okay, so this was this was our uh, fall episode, getaways. Yeah, talking about fall getaways. Yesterday's episode. Yes, uh-huh. Olivia recommended fly fishing in the Yampa River, and I was like, "Oh, I think my aunt and uncle do that. They're like brother and sister, and they love to go fishing." No, my other aunt was like, "You are in the whole wrong part of the state. They fish in the Gunnison, so g- get it together." You're not gonna catch them in the Yampa River. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, that was the text no, I woke up no, to. No, 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 no. And I was like, I did ask Uncle Ed about this after we had recorded. And so I knew that I was wrong. But my my family likes mm-hmm. to remind me. Glad. So. Glad we could get that one corrected. I'm sure <laughs> listeners were confused and, and they, upset. They were like, I can't believe Bree thinks her family fishes <laughs> in the Yampa River. Yeah. So thank you, Aunt Erin, for that correction. I appreciate it. We actually have another clarification here from last week. This is another one of those oh, situations yes. that comes up occasionally on the show. Just we just wanted to make it very clear because something we didn't realize something was happening. This was a uh, last Thursday's episode, so I, I was presenting the events for the weekend, and uh, we ended up picking the Vandal Futurism Art Show at Redline Gallery. 
Um, what we didn't realize at the time was that that show was part of the mural festival, Denver Walls, that we were promoting on that we had a, show. We have a paid sponsor. Someone bought ad yeah. time. We did a sponsored ad or a sponsored conversation about that. And so we just want to let you all know the Vandal post Vandal Futurism show that we touted all last week, we did not know was connected to someone who was an advertiser with us. So yeah. we just want to be transparent. I will also just give another plug for that show. I went to the opening. You went. I went to the opening. It was amazing. It's so cool to see uh, art that is cons- had long been considered a nuisance in this really beautiful gallery space. It was so cool. So I don't remember how long that's running for, but I would definitely check out the uh, post vandalism post vandalism future vandal futurism <laughs> graffiti futurism. I should know. I took a bunch of pictures. That's the of gist. It. it was great. It's at Redline. Highly recommend it. Um, yeah, so I'm glad we got that out of the way, Paul. We want people to know that we're trying to be as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. What do you say, Bree? Should we Let's finally get, get to news. the news? <laughs> and it's our biggest small town story of the year. It's Pickle- every town's biggest story of the year, is I think. Is this a national problem? Oh, yeah. This is this is the same story everywhere. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the problem is, or the the issue at hand is to support or not support the playing of pickleball in your neighborhood. <laughs> Um, yeah, so maybe I'll quickly recap where Please. we've been because there's been some new developments that are really quite interesting. Um, pickleball, I'm sure you've heard of it at this point. You've probably heard it being played. Uh, that's the, that's main the main complaint. Complaint is that it's very loud. Um, but it's this hybrid new sport of ping pong and tennis. Uh, it really popped up during the pandemic, and um, I think it appeals a lot to older folks trying to stay active because it's like a pretty accessible way to be social and active. And it also get feels like and... why hipsters started doing kickball twenty years ago. It's like something you could drink beer and kind of do as well. You think you could play? You could think you could drink beer and play pickleball? The pickleballs players by my house by that are Houston Lake. They have like full on parties around the pickleball courts. Really? They all bring their dogs. There's like picnics. So Interesting. Yeah. I haven't seen that. I've never actually played myself. Either way. Yeah. I kind of, I I keep saying I want to, but then I take no steps to actually (laughs) doing it. (laughs) And here we are. I'll buy you a pickleball battle for Christmas. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. So so the issue really, though, is, like you said, the sound is one of the things. What is going on? Yeah, so uh, the problem is that this sport is very, very, very popular now. There are about uh, an estimated 6,000 pickleballers in Denver alone. That's according to Fox 31. Um, And there's not enough places for them to play. Um, There's 38 outdoor courts at eight sites across the city. And from what I understand, all of them are packed from morning noon tonight. It's that distinctive thock of pickleball. Um, so that that problem, uh, the noise issue has, has led to conflicts all across the city. Um, across the metro, I mean, other municipalities are dealing with this too. Exactly. About six months ago, Centennial banned the construction of new courts. Earlier this month, Glendale, which is, you know, the city that's I don't know if you call it a suburb, but it's kind of inside it's of literally Denver. literally in the middle of Denver. <laughs> yeah. Um, they banned pickleball on tennis courts earlier this month, um, but they also approved the construction of new dedicated pickleball courts. Um, anyway, the new stuff, though. The new yeah, stuff. Yeah, what is the latest? Should we talk public or private? Oh, this is a public versus private problem? I think so. That's how I'm seeing it. Tell I me feel how you like see it, because I don't know. I think it's what where we're at now is we're at this race 
to see who is going to be able to satisfy all this huge demand for pickleball. There's these 6,000 people. There's not enough space on the courts. Uh, they're getting into big fights. You know, the city of Denver, I didn't even mention this, but they banned it from the Congress Park tennis court. That's right. That, that whole park. Mm -hmm. That was a big hotspot for pickleball, but the pickleball community was was banned. It even became a political issue. Uh, Mayor Now Mayor Johnston showed up there. The week, It was the weekend before the first round of the election. I don't think that was like a very underrated and canny move by oh, Johnston yeah. to yeah. Uh, court the pickleball vote. To court the I pickleball thought. constituency. <laughs> um, but now, uh, at least under Johnston here in Denver, what we've got is this uh, pickleball planning and advisory group. Uh, which is a committee of uh, city oh, leaders, Lord. including former councilman Chris Herndon. And their job is to go find some new spots, some places where Parks and Rec could maybe build new courts or um, or think about how pickleball could be incorporated in different ways that it's not being used in our in our park system. Because the issue at hand is it's too loud. Yeah, it's too loud. So people don't want them at their neighborhood park. They don't want it close to, well, homeowners in the vicinity don't want it close to them basically it's too loud interesting so that's the issue um and the, and this new parks and rec uh group is is supposed to be finding compromises um johnston just recently put two million dollars in his budget for the construction of new pickleball courts are you serious yeah we can't even get our pools filled in, in the summertime well what's wrong with this though pickleball there's, there's a lot like of people lot who of want to play pickleball to put in okay if, if it turns out I to be a fad agree. and these courts lay fallow, that could be an issue. Yeah, I don't know. I've just got some feelings about this, but what are your feelings? It just like seems like I don't know. It feels like it's it feels like every other civic issue where the people that are the loudest are like actually the minority, and but they get the attention of the city, and then the city helps them. And mm -hmm. like I know that I guess that's supposed to be how civics works. This just feels a little weird because I've heard a lot of things about our parks that need help. So. Could you open up the restrooms back up and put those toilets back or whatever people are sm smashing toilets like that to me would be more of a service I would be looking for in the park. But, you know, if well, he's got you don't have pickleball fever, I don't and I don't have two million dollars, but my city does. So yeah. um, so he's 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 genuinely approaching this situation in, in a serious way. Yeah. And this this pickleball advisory group has been scouting locations. And I guess what they're talking about now is a, a, a rule of um establishing a buffer of 350 feet between any pickleball courts and a private home. Hmm. It seems like they think that's about the, the, distance the distance that would be required for the sound not to be too irritating to cause a problem. Interesting. Um, it's similar in Centennial, although they're actually uh, looking at a slightly smaller buffer zone, which is interesting. Centennial had banned the construction of new courts. They just lifted the ban, but it also came with these new rules that they're going to be debating. So it's th I things think the like, ban expired or something. It, it was it was a ban to give them time to come up with these okay. rules, and now they have the rules, so they're debating the rules. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so they they've got the rules like uh, only allowing play between eight a.m. and eight p.m., um, requiring uh, a permit for a court to be built between two hundred and fifty feet and six hundred feet from a home, um, because that's the amount of space where the sound would not exceed 47 <laughs> decibels. It is like so scientific and precise the way people it's, have gone into this sound issue. I'm just, I the sound issue is such a whiny baby thing to be mad about. I'm sorry. I you live think? in I live in a neighborhood that is loud as AF. But you knew that 24 seven. But you knew that when you moved in. If Maybe you not to if the you extent. bought a house in Congress Park 
in a beautiful, quiet Congress park, you paid upwards of a million dollars for a... You're a sucker. I don't know what to tell you. You don't like... you. you I love my neighborhood. I also deal with what my neighborhood is. It's in a city. So you got to hear sounds that you don't have control over. This feels like a control issue to me. That's where I, I don't I don't really have sympathy for either side, I guess is how I would put it. Interesting. <laughs> where do you fall, Paul? Uh, nowhere. Nowhere. I have no dog in this fight. Same. I just think it's an interesting <laughs> thing that's happening, honestly. I mean, as a disc golf player, I know that the that's demand right. on space is like a big issue and it has shaped how the 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 hobby has grown or or not. Mm-hmm. Um so for this new pickleball thing, that's kind of how I see it too. Although the demand is way, way higher. Pickleball, much more popular than yes. disc golf right now. I think what I would hope to see come out of this is that we do devote more, maybe maybe creating more space for public parks in those, also my neighborhood, tons of parking lots. Could we turn one of those into a small pocket park with a pickleball court? Maybe. Sure. Maybe. Um, The private sector is more interesting. Um, And this is where the race thing comes into it. Because like as the Mayor Johnston's pickleball advisory group is looking for spots, do you remember Robert Thompson, the founder of Punchbowl Social? Yes. Who got who got pushed out of that company during the pandemic? Right. Yeah. Because oh, they, is he is he, he rising from the ashes as the king of pickleball? Exactly. He's the private pickleballer. He is. He has got perhaps the biggest, most ambitious private pickleball concept that he's working on, set to open in 2024 in Centennial Camp Pickle, a five-acre, five-thousand-square-foot pickleball campus. Is it indoors? No, no, it's mostly outdoors. Although there are indoor courts too. That seems like a lot of it. That feels like a concentrated area of pickleball. Then. Oh yeah, that doesn't sound. Imagine great. the sound. No, I imagine <laughs> one or two courts. And again, I'm basing this on the one park I go to where people play this. Mm-hmm. There's like, I don't know, three or four courts. I can't imagine like a dozen. I could see where that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. But uh, ugh, I don't know. Anyway, here's the very last story, and the probably the maybe the highest high this pickleball mania has ever hit. The Denver Post reported last week that Denver resident Tiffany Ash, who's a third grade teacher at Marama Elementary, Hmm. will be competing on a new reality TV show called Pickleball Paddle Battle, in which the winner doesn't get a cash prize. What you get is a franchising contract with the Arizona-based pickleball campus chain Pickleball Kingdom. Wait a minute, so you become a franchisee owner like a McDonald's? Yeah. That doesn't ever seem like it turns out to be a good deal. Why not? Well, you're just, it's just like someone's giving you a business responsibility. (laughs) Yeah, but a huge opportunity. I mean, Pickleball Kingdom, presumably, I don't know much about this chain, but presumably they've got a good business model figured out. And there's a massive, massive unmet demand for pickleball courts here in Denver. I think that could be a cash cow. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, we'll be watching this story. Because it seems and to just it. be hitting the news every week. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, and hearing it. We'll be hearing it whether we want to or not. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more news. All right, and we're back. Our second story is uh, Mayor Mike Johnston. He said he plans to house 1,000 people by the end of 2023 uh, when we have new details about how he's doing and maybe more importantly, how he's tracking his progress. Bree, let's start with what's happening on the ground. What are you seeing and reading this week? Sure. So um, I pass by this particular encampment once a week when I'm actually coming down here to Westward. It's at 8th and Logan, and this is sort of the encampment in question right now. Um, So last week... Uh, the city of Denver posted a seven-day notice that it was going to be swept. Um, and I 
and I was I drove by it today that Monday we're recording this Monday by tomorrow it may be gone because that was when they were going to sweep but when I went by recently it seemed like there were a lot of city workers out sort of talking to folks but a lot of it like has now fallen into the street the encampment has and I don't know if that's a you mean like tents and yeah like just like stuff. bags of garb yeah people's belongings and I'm wondering if it's just because they're in the middle of this shift or shakeup that, that that's why it's appearing that way but hmm. um I just know that people were really concerned about it um and the city says, though, that in preparation for this sweep, that, that that it has plans to house about 70 folks living there in a long-term hotel option. Where that hotel is and what long-term means to me is seems pretty vague. Um, but this would be something different than he's done in the past, I guess, is like the move along to where, which is the general complaint yeah. about encampment sweeps is there's nowhere for folks to go and this is the first it seems to be the first in johnson's administration where he has somewhere for folks to go um that's interesting i mean i know that was his plan from the beginning and then he begrudgingly ordered a couple of sweeps or at least a couple of sweeps where there was no promise of there was nowhere for folks to go has the housing that's good to know yeah um denver 7 reported that the city cited an overwhelming amount of trash human waste and discarded needles as the reason for this sweep which is not uncommon that is definitely something that we have heard throughout the last administration as the reasoning behind calling for a sweep the city also says that it is promising um to provide some behavioral health services, some mental health services, substance use disorder services, and and things like that at the encampment before they start to move people. Okay, that's um, interesting. I think it's helpful. I just would I would like to hear from unhoused folks if this is just feels like another band aid, maybe, and hmm. not a real solution. Um, but it is the first of of Johnston sweeps that supposedly they have somewhere to take folks. So I feel like that's what we're going to be watching the most, honestly. Um, but something you brought this up at the very beginning, Paul, which is like, how are they? How is Johnston tracking this? Right. Because he made this huge yeah. promise to house a thousand people. And we've had different reports of like types of housing that he's been interested in. Like he bought that Best Western Hotel in Central Park and then he they bought a bunch of those pallets, mm-hmm. pallet shelters. It was like. 200 I think for seven million dollars which is a very different type of living situation absolutely a, a, a revamped hotel versus a pallet shelter right so yeah what do we know based from how he's tracking it so he has this the city has this new dashboard that we'll link to that you can kind of keep track on it's called it's part of his house 1000 initiative um, and the city says the tracker will be updated daily with, quote, a comprehensive overview of the city of Denver's efforts and outcomes, making it easier for stakeholders and the community to track our pro- progress toward this vital goal. I don't know what that means, but that's- really? it sounds like he's saying they're making it easy to track the let me take a look. I'm looking at it now. It looks pretty good to me. They've got what are like, they tra- like, how are they tracking it? Like, how would you explain it? Uh, it's a little thermometer with numbers on the side that go up to a thousand. Looks like they've. They say they've housed a thousand or they have delivered housing outcomes to 102 people. um, And those include uh, leased unit or some kind of permanent housing. Five people got that. 18 people were moved into micro communities. Six into a six got motel vouchers. So it sounds like they're kind of trying to piece together some opportunities out of various places or ideas. Yeah. Um, so the thing that I thought was interesting too here was uh, the term, the how, what a housing outcome is. I'm interested in that. So it, according to the Denver Post piece, if people return to a tent uh, from being in a shelter that they were, some sort of shelter they were given, if they return back to the streets in 14 days, they're still considered housed. 
So if they stay in that hotel, that transitional hotel for two weeks, but they end up back on the street, they're still counted as housed, according to this. That's so, uh, Yeah, feels like he's setting now maybe a low bar or a lower bar than he let us believe he was aiming for. I mean, I think it might have been now that you're in the middle of the soup, you know that it's not as easy as just housing people, right? Yeah. Like, um, there was an interesting quote from my friend Kathy Alderman of the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless. Um, she, again, the coalition is one of the largest organizations that serves on house folks. And she says that providing these alternate shelter locations, you know, micro communities, hotels, pallet shelters, whatever they are, are safer places than sleeping on the streets. And that's a good thing. But they're not housing. That's her her criticism as someone that works in this world. I mean, that's a pretty serious criticism especially from an organization that does a lot with the city directly. I am like constantly struggling with this issue because I, like most normal people, want people to be housed. But I'm understanding now how much of a struggle it is to do that. It's not as easy as just putting someone in a house. But also I'm seeing, like I drive by that encampment every week. It doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. And they, I think they're one of the encampments that was receiving trash service recently and had a porta potty, which is great. Yeah, I drove past earlier as well and I saw some like newer type tents. Like mm-hmm. th- it looked clearly looked like they had received some services from the city. Sure. So I, again, it feels like one of those remains to be seen. I don't know. I feel like if you change, if you, if you start allowing some deterioration of your definition of what housing is, then we're going to end up in that same situation we were with Hancock for so long where the the easiest thing to do is to pursue the, the very short-term solutions that sound good, like providing some smaller services or setting up a, a safe outdoor space. But, none, like, because, but as Kathy Alderman says, none of those things are housing and housing right. is the thing we all know works. Right. So it's just, it's Band-Aids. It's, yeah. it's Band-Aids until it's, it's housing and housing is really, really, really hard. Secure, stable, affordable and, you know, that's what they need. And all of these things aren't really that yet. Like you said, the, the you could stay in a hotel tentatively forever, I guess, but it's still not permanent housing, even if it's better than the tents. Uh, leagues know. better. Leagues better. For but sure. Like, you're not going to have your own kitchen. Right. Or just like maybe a little bit more privacy. Yeah. Something that we I think we really take for granted as house people. Um, I don't know. I guess it's good, though, that they're tracking it on the website. Uh, I do think it's important, though, for us to continue to be critical of what uh, a housing outcome is, like you said, so it doesn't become deteriorated and we're back to square one again. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about like sending people to group shelters and we're defining that as housing. Which we know is not. Yeah. It really is uh, square one. And thing. the unhoused community has been saying this for like decades. The shelter system doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I hope for the best. And I really am trying to stay optimistic here, Paul, because we do. We are. We're only a couple months into this new administration. Yeah. We'll keep talking about it. We'll see. Hopefully we get to talk to Mayor Johnston about it soon. I'd like to. I'd like to see what he's thinking. Well, speaking of what people are thinking, we always love hearing from you, our listeners. You bring us great voicemails and emails, and we just like love to hear from you. Um, and we wanted to share those some of those today. So what are our what are our listeners? What are our members? What are our friends talking about, Paul? Uh, okay, sure. So we got an email from a listener, Alex W. Hi, all. 
As a high school social studies teacher in the area, now in Jeffco, previously in Aurora, I enjoyed this week's episode on the possible renaming of certain parks in Denver as it ties together historical research and considering multiple perspectives. However, I was disappointed to hear Paul's take on the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> a document that I love having my students dig into and consider in both the context it was written in and today. He's welcome to join the ninth graders in my U.S. government and <laughs> civics class next semester to finally get through the archaic language to understand the power and controversy of the ideas contained in what is really a short statement on the nature of humanity and how we govern ourselves. I want Alex to be my teacher. Sounds like he could be. He sounds you want to come with me and he go to his class? Awesome. I, man, you got called out for being a Declaration of Independence yeah. hater. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I got to give it up to Alex here. This is a pretty good roast. He okay. got me. He got me good. Does it change your perspective at all? Uh, maybe. I mean, I might have to go to this class and learn more about the document. But <laughs> oh, from what teachers. I know now, I, you, you know, I I do actually have know something about this time period. I studied at the George Washington University in D.C. And I took this class all about George Washington and his world. Um, and it was great because it was at his home, Mount Vernon, in Northern Virginia. It was like the centerpiece of my whole college education. It was, it was a great, great class. And I read a lot of his writing. Uh, Washington, very simple, direct communicator, terrific writer. Jefferson could have learned a few things from his friend, our first president. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, we always welcome comments, questions, thoughts, theories. You can call our, our hotline. It is open 24-7 at 720-500-5418. Once again, that is the All City Cast Denver All the Time Hotline, 720-500-5418. Well, Paul, that was really fun. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, see you next time, Brie. And now, please enjoy this sponsored interview with Allie Grimm, the organizer of a brand new mural festival called Denver Walls, which is splashing across Rhino from September 22nd to October 3rd. Allie Grimm, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you so much for having me. So Allie, I understand Rhino is getting a new mural festival this month. Tell me about Denver Walls. Yeah, Denver Walls is a new mural festival presented by Rhino Art District. We're bringing 17 walls with 18 artists all the way from Blake and Broadway up to CSU Spur Campus. And Allie, I know you're the organizer of the festival, but you're also a muralist yourself. What does it mean to you personally to be launching this? It honestly means a lot. I had been painting murals for like five years when I participated in DC Walls, which is the DC chapter of our festival. And it was an experience unlike anything I'd ever had. A lot of the times when we're painting outdoors, we're painting in dirty alleys, we're interacting with, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. But to have a moment where you're so deeply cared for and you also get to create, that's something so special. And I'm really grateful to get to bring it here. I'm thinking about listeners who maybe have been to a mural fest here in Denver before. This is not the first. It's not even the first in Rhino. What makes Denver Walls special? Denver Walls is part of a global network called Worldwide Walls, where the 25th city added to that roster. What makes us special is that extra care and love, not just for the artists, but also for the community. And so when I put the festival together, I wanted to really exemplify Colorado culture by bringing in a tech element and celebrating that we are the best of both worlds. You get the mountains on one side, but you also have all this innovation happening. So 
We have a blockchain element. We're going to put bronze plaques on all of our walls that you can just tap your phone onto them. And then you'll be able to earn rewards with us. We have augmented reality. We have projection mapping. Those little things are kind of what set us apart in addition to the really insane lineup that we have bringing artists in from places like South Africa, Spain, Austria, Germany, as well as all over the U.S. And of course, celebrating our local artists as well. Oh, the lineup we have to talk about. I mean, I I saw Detour's name on there, Thomas Evans. I think listeners are going to know Detour from his now famous Nuggets mural. Who are you most excited about seeing? I have a couple favorites. Faith 47 is a South African artist. Her work is really elegant and beautiful and unique. I'm also really excited for George Baker, who is an Atlanta artist who is a ball of sunshine. All of his work is always this really joyful cartoon style. We have legends like Dolk and Nitro, Squidlicker, Greg Mike. But then we also get to celebrate our locals. Like you said, Detour is painting a 16,000 square foot parking deck at the Source Hotel. It's our largest project and it meant so much to us to have a local get the biggest piece. Everything that we're painting is exceptionally beautiful and I'm so excited for. Oh gosh, me too. I mean, a huge new detour mural in Denver. That I mean, that's a, that's an occasion. Oh yes. Ali, so I'm thinking about, there's probably also a lot of people out there who've never been to a mural festival before. I understand that there's opportunities to watch these world-class artists do their thing, but what else, what else can people expect? Our main events start on the 27th. We're hosting a workshop course at Green Spaces for creatives and entrepreneurs. On the 29th, we have a gallery show with Vantage Point, the largest street art podcast in the world. And James Below, who hosts it, is one of our incredible artists. And then on the 30th, we have kind of a street art fair where we've invited local artists to vend as well as local small businesses We also have a really exciting paint battle called Secret Walls. Yeah, I was curious about that. What what does that even mean? It's a three versus three artist paint battle with only black paint where the artists kind of have to just make things up as they go on the teams. It's 90 minutes. And then at the end, the crowd votes by cheering. They use a decibel reader. So it's really high energy. It's really fun. That event is at Yardbird on the 28th. Dang. Yeah, that sounds incredible. So Ali, for people who are now listening and are fully psyched to attend this thing, what do they need to know about Denver Walls? We really started this for the community. We wanted to create a central place where street art is celebrated again, where the small businesses that make Rhino so special get to be celebrated again. I myself moved to Denver six years ago because of that sense of collaboration and creation that always really exists within our communities. And that's really what we're excited to bring back. And the last thing I'll say is wear comfy shoes. Our walls are a little spread out, but we love nature, right? We love a good hike. So just be ready to explore. (laughs) Allie Grimm, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. For more information on tickets and to get the whole festival schedule, check out denverwalls.com. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Centennial City Council member Don Sheehan about us. Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and sign up to become a founding member of CityCast Denver today by visiting membership.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Centennial Siddle...